Praise God. Good morning. How are you, Christ Chapel? Good, good. So glad you're here. So glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, welcome to those who are worshiping online, and welcome to our people in Converge. We love you guys. Also, go frogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about Jesus, you have to be just as enthusiastic, if not more, okay? So the bar is now set with your energy on frogs, so um, we'll see. Um, Love that, love that you guys are here on January 1st. Uh, this Sunday, I'm really excited. It's going to be a little bit of a different Sunday. Uh, you didn't walk in and get, get sermon notes when you walked in the doors. So how will the Spirit of God even move without sermon notes? Uh, not slides. Uh, and, and I was really humbled and honored um, several weeks ago, maybe over a month ago, Cody uh, asked me to get to share my heart for and my prayer for the Fort Worth campus at Christ Chapel. I don't have a heart for West Campus, so Matt is preaching there, and South Campus, Micah, is there. But you guys are in luck, because I have a bunch of prayers for you and, and for us. And so um, here's what this morning is going to look like. Uh, I, I'm going to get to just dive into Scripture, and we're going to be all over. It'll be a little bit of a different uh, morning, because it really is just going to be, let's sit in Scripture and let's dwell, and, and I'm going to really camp out on one big psalm. And I'm not going to walk through uh, the entire psalm and unpack it, but really, uh, I'm going to take us to Psalm 84. And so you're going to need your Bibles this morning. Um, there's Bibles under the pews, or if you've got your iPhone Bible or whatever it is, we're going to be all throughout Scripture. And so we're going to be in Psalm 84 and, and pray and my prayer has been that the Spirit of God moves us uh, with this psalm, but we're not going to necessarily unpack all of it. We're going to use it to be moved by God to say, this is our goal, this is our heart, Lord, would this be our desire in line with the psalmist? And then we're going to ask some how questions uh, for the rest of our time this morning, and then go back into worship and have time of communion. So that's kind of the preview of what we're doing. And then next week, uh, Cody is going to be up here, and we are going to walk through, he is going to walk us through the book of Acts this next year which I'm incredibly excited about and just how God's going to use the study of his word walking through a book like Acts uh, to shape us. And so that's uh, what, what we're going to do. Um, I, I, want to, I want to just read this entire uh, Psalm 84 to you. Um, it's page 493 if you've got your blue Bibles. And um, I just thought of this just now. I'd love for us to stand because why not? Um, let's stand for the reading of God's word converge. You guys aren't off the hook. You have to stand also. Um, you're young. You can handle it. Um, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield. O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts you. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may be seated. When Cody asked um, for me to share my heart and my prayer, um, for the last month, this is really where my head and heart and prayer has gone, is Psalm 84. Um, my desire for this to be true of my life, uh, my desire for this to be true of my family's life, my desire for this to be true of you, our friends, our family, uh, this church, um, it's beautiful. And, and it is in it we see the heart of a psalmist who eagerly, desperately, zealously desires to be near his God, to live near, to dwell and do life in step with his God. A, a little bit about context. If you saw in your Bible, it you know, oftentimes tells the author. A, a lot of the Psalms are written by David, but this one is the sons of Korah. And I want to give a little context uh, about what that means because I think it's fascinating. I think it helps us understand um, just kind of from a 30,000-foot view the beauty of this Psalm. Uh, the sons of Korah, here's the, here's the background of that. Um, back when Moses... God was establishing his nation, um, even with Moses in the desert, in the wilderness, um, the Levites, it was the sons of Levi, the Levites were the tribe that was reserved to be the priestly tribe of Israel. And Levi had three sons, and their roles were really to divide up the responsibilities of the temple um, and the tabernacle as they carried around the tabernacle throughout the wilderness, the presence of God, where God's presence dwelt um, in, that, in that period of time. And so the first two sons were divided the, the cloth for the tent, the beams, they were responsible for the curtains and the frames um, and all of those things. They were allowed to use horses and animals and wagons to be able to transport all of those elements of the tabernacle in the wilderness. The third son was Kohath. And Kohath was responsible and his lineage and his people and his crew, right, they were responsible for the actual sanctuary, the items in the sanctuary, the the lampstands, the altar, the ark itself, and they were forbidden to use animals or put things on carts. In fact, they were forbidden uh, to even hold them uh, directly. They would have to wrap those elements in cloth, a priest would, and they had to hold them, and they had to carry them with their hands and not put them on a wagon, uh, those kind of things. And so Kohath and his people, they carried them everywhere. Well, Kohath's grandson is Korah. And so Korah was the grandson, and he, so he's in the line. So this is his, his responsibility. He's got to carry the things of God that make up the dwelling place of God in, in, in this season. He's got to carry them. And he became incredibly disgruntled, right? And so Numbers shows this account of him rebelling and ultimately gathering a bunch of people to say, we don't like our job. We don't like what we're responsible for. We're tired of carrying this thing. And so they rebelled, and ultimately he was trying to overthrow Moses. God severely judges them in the wilderness. The, literally, the, the earth, an earthquake happens, and the ground swallows up Korah and everyone who was in, in his crew ready to say, man, we're, we're grumbling and upset, and we don't want to do this job to help establish the tabernacle. Everyone except God spares, in Numbers 26, 9 through 11, God spared Korah's son. Everyone else was gone, but God chose to spare Korah's son. The legacy of Korah was 
a man and a community of people that all the Israelites would have known, these were the guys who were literally trying to overthrow Moses in the wilderness because they weren't happy with the job that they were assigned by God. And God spared the son of Korah, and from the son of Korah became a new line, a new legacy. And throughout the Old Testament, the sons of Korah and that family tree becomes incredibly impactful and valuably used by God in the story of God. Um, the, the, the line of Korah is where Samuel came from. Uh, they were a part of all sorts of, of important battles even. Ultimately, though, and most notably, uh, there were individuals there who were instrumental in leading worship alongside David. And so here we have this context. The sons of Korah, who, who came from a lineage that was dark and divisive and disgruntled, the sons of Korah ended up becoming worshipers of God. They wrote this psalm. They wrote um, 11 other psalms um, in our Bible where the sons of Korah were credited to. And they were big number one hits in the psalms, right? They were big box office. They, they wrote, as the deer pants to the water, that psalm. Uh, Be still and know that I am the Lord. This was the sons of Korah. They loved God. And I, I love the context of understanding a little bit more about the author of Psalm 84, especially coming from what it, where it came from. What Korah would have meant to most people is somebody who is disgruntled and angry and doesn't want, to do, doesn't want to do it God's way, and yet from that family tree comes a psalm. Here, Psalm 84, I just want you. I long for you. I long for your courts. Would I just be in your courts? One day there is better than a thousand elsewhere. Verse 2, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. It's especially sweet knowing that brokenness in the family tree. I think, um, I, know, I know I should probably, in a sermon, wait to kind of leave all the punchy application for the end, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and challenge you with this. We're going to talk for the next 15 to 20 minutes about what it looks like to be people who have a heart like this, who crave the presence of God like this. A people who say, this is what I want. I want to live my life and mark my life by being near, walking close, walking in step with God in his courts. Um, and, if, and if you hear that, and if you hear this sermon, and at, and at some point check out because you think, no, 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 you don't know my family. You don't know what I came from. You don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes. You don't know the disobedience. You don't, maybe that's, that's good for some people, and I'm going to love God, and I'm going to do my part, but I'm never going to have a heart like Psalm 84. That's not destined for me, because look at, look at where I came from. Look at, look at my last decade. Look at my family tree, and God says, I'm going to tell a story out of broken people that points to my glory. Be encouraged. Lean in. Read Psalm 84. Meditate on Psalm 84 this week. Would God shape our hearts in this way? Let me add some further explanation before I, I get into really how. Further explanation on the courts of the Lord. Right? How are we to understand that today? In the Old Testament, where we, we would have seen God's presence dwelled in the temple in the Old Testament. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 3 that, that we actually now, if we are in Christ, we are the temple. That God dwells in us. And so this longing, this prioritizing the courts of the Lord, I want us to lean into as this is fellowship with our God. But this is nearness to our king. That's what this is. One day in your courts is one day close to you. Fellowship with our God through Christ, 
with the very Spirit of God working in us, a triune God that we see illustrated here in Psalm 84 that allows us, allows you and me, sinners saved by grace if we're in Christ, to draw near to that God, to be in his inner circle. Do we want that? proximity and intimacy to our God, to our designer, what we are all made for. We're we're made for that. That is what we search. Our souls will continue to search. We'll fill it with other things or we'll cope in other ways, but we are made to be connected to that creator, and here we have it available. Um, That's what I want. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for for your life. That's what um, I want that we will do incredible things getting off the bench and and serving in incredibly obedient ways, loving the Lord more than we we love ourselves, but ultimately that we would be people that are marked by our heart to just be near him, draw near to him. Here's the thing we can't miss, because the psalmist, um, he, he doesn't just describe this nearness of God and his desire to be in God's courts um, as a category, right? It is not just a category in his, his life, um, he wants only that. Where it's not a buffet that you say, yes, I do want some more Jesus in 2023. I would like to, to add a little bit more. I would like to increase that buffet item in the things that I am, am dwelling in, the things that I'm pursuing, the things that I'm prioritizing in my life. The psalmist says, no, it's that and that alone. I'll trade a thousand days of living it up for one day in your courts. And throughout the New Testament, we see this too. Right? We, see, we see disciples hop off their boat, leave their nets behind because they just want to be near their Savior. They want to be near Jesus. Uh, we, we see it in Matthew 13, one of my favorite parables. Jesus talks about a, a man who finds a treasure. The kingdom of God is like a treasure found in a field. And when he finds it, when that man finds it, in joy, Matthew 13 says, with joy he sells everything he has so that he can buy that field where the treasure is. Right? That this, I'm all in. And not begrudgingly all in, okay, I get, but enjoy, this is all, I will trade everything. A thousand days, all I have, I just want you because that's what we're designed for. His kingdom, valued, living a life in nearness to my Savior. Would I value that? Would I prioritize that? That's our heart for our church, as the elders of this church, uh, Cody's heart, my heart, our worship leaders, to our deacons. Um, but if you were to read my journals, if you were to read my prayer journals, which please don't, it would get awkward. But if you were, I, you would see consistent inconsistency in this desire to do this, to be this man, to walk in nearness, to prioritize that, you would see in my life, Ben Fuquay, a, a consistent inconsistency in my walk in seasons. And so here we are, right? Is this just another January 1st New Year's resolution? This year, I'm going really, to really lean in and, and walk close and prioritize Christ above all. And we look up mid-February, and Jesus is, we're still Christians. We still like Jesus, but we've got all of these other things too. Certainly not walking in step with his spirit, producing peace and joy in all circumstances. Um, I think God's word can help with this. Right? This is the tension of the Christian life. I think God's word can help with this. Three questions um, I think can help us better understand and apply this biblical declaration 
that one day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And so these are the, the questions I want to um, take us into Scripture um, t- to help answer. How do we get in his courts? How do we stay in his courts? And how do we invite others into his courts? Not what Ben thinks here, but Scripture. So we're about to get dizzy flipping through our Bible, um, and so praise God for that. First, let's start with how do we get there, right? Before we even talk about what it looks like to live that life and, and walk in consistency there, how do we get in his courts in the first place? Would we never get tired of this answer? Would the answer to the question, how do we draw near to God in the first place, be something that stirs our affections when we talk about it, whether it's the thousandth time you've heard it, or this is the first time God has given you ears to hear something he wants you to hear this morning. We know John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. So that means that Jesus is the only way, right? That is who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, perfect, lived the life that we were called to live and come up short, consistently inconsistent. He was consistent in every way because he was He was God in the flesh. He was God incarnate, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so God comes. He lays down his life, raises again so that all who put their faith in him, in his sacrifice and what he's done, get access to our God. He came for sinners, right? Not the the righteous, like Mark 2 tells us. He didn't come for the healthy and the righteous. He came for the sinners. And that's really good news to you because you are a sinner. You're a sinner. I am a sinner. Christ's substitute is enough for your sin and my sin. Christ's substitute, his perfect death on the cross. Flip in your Bibles to page 976. We're going we're gonna to be jumping around in the New Testament as we answer some of these how questions. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Yeah, I guess I should say that too because if you don't have a, a, a blue Bible, you're flipping to 976, and I have no idea where you're going to end up. Ephesians 2 is the important thing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we see that salvation. We see that grace in Ephesians 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace we have salvation through faith. Not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you are hearing Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and God is giving you fresh ears to hear it in a way you've never heard, I hope the Spirit of God is, for some, for the first time, saying, I give grace. I bring salvation. You believe, put your faith in me, but your good deeds... Your, your life of trying to tip the scales in your favor is never going to work. I mean, it's January 1st, and you're at church, so you're doing something right, okay? That's impressive. And yet, your scales will never be tipped enough to outweigh the sin in our life. And that's not discouraging news because the power of the gospel is greater than that, because his grace is greater than that. We see that. It's not by our works. We don't get to boast. We don't get to take credit for our own salvation. He has done it through his gospel. Flip a, flip a couple of pages over to Colossians chapter 1. I want to show you a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 1. Because he didn't just save us. He, he delivered us somewhere. Colossians chapter 1. It's 983 in your blue Bible, if you got one of those. Colossians 1 verse 13 and 14. It's a few pages over. 
He has delivered us, in verses 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. His kingdom, His courts, relational access to His Son. He's delivered us from one to the other in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been adopted, right? We've been saved. We see this theme throughout the New Testament as Paul continues to write to other churches that that we've been transferred from, from death to life. And then in Romans 8, we see Paul talk about this picture of even adoption, that we are now sons. I'll read it for you, Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And that word sons is very intentional because what he's talking about is that you're a son, meaning men and women are all co-heirs, right? They all get the same heir. They all get the same allowance from God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, it says in verse 15, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Intimacy. All throughout the New Testament, that we have access to an intimate Father who, who we have no business being in His courts. It's holy and perfect and reverent, and we're not. And yet, He sees us as His kids, welcoming us. Not because we cleaned ourselves up enough, but because of His grace. The Spirit, verse 16, Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Beautiful. So this is how we enter. We enter by the grace of God because if we have put our faith in Christ, if we've put our faith, surrendered our life to Christ, then we say, okay, we we get access to God. We get intimacy and proximity to the God of the universe. That's how we enter the courts. It's not based on your track record. God's proximity to you is not held at bay because his grace isn't powerful enough and he's, he's going to have to do some extra work to be able to draw near to you. God takes holiness seriously. He takes sin seriously. So serious that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we might be his, we might be adopted. Revolutionary. How do we stay there? How do we stay there? This is a problem, right? We wander. I wander, right? The, the, the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount, that we are prone to wander. We've, we see it all throughout Scripture. To wander is to sin. And sometimes our sins are, are, are very blatant sins that are in disobedience to God. And sometimes our sin are apathy. And, and it's these subtle things that we prioritize, all of these things before God. And we filled our buffet with God is this important slice of our pie, but he's not everything as we are designed for it to be. We see the prodigal son wanders. Um, We see all throughout the New Testament warning us to not do that. I mean, letter after letter after letter in the New Testament is is these epistles saying, come back, don't wander, don't chase back into your sin, don't return to that sin. There's a tension there, so so how? In Ephesians 4, it talks about people being tossed back and forth, which we'll get to here in a second. But I want to hold on to that, and I want to give just some real practical things of how. But how do we hold, how do we stay in his courts? How do we not go and we have, we're drawn near him, but then we wander into our own things? And a couple of things. One, I think there are some things we need to flee from, and then there are some things we need to hold on to. Things we need to flee from. We flee from our temptations. right? We flee from our temptations. Philippians 3, chap, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. In the Blue Bible, it's page 981. It's this beautiful passage where... Paul is articulating here for the church in Philippi what it looks like 
to continue walking, to putting temptation and the old life behind him. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that do not consider I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of the things we have to do to stay in his courts, right? it's not about God's character changing, but it's to flee from those things, to put sin behind us, to put our wanderings behind us. Uh, and I'm going to get real practical with that here in just a second. Um, but the other thing I want to illustrate is we also put our condemnation and our shame behind us. I think the enemy pulls us out of the court sometimes because we, we chase after things that are not, that, that the Spirit of God convicts us to. Right? We run ourselves. But other times it's the enemy whispering in our ear, you're not worthy to be in this place. And we start to believe lies and we keep condemnation and shame that isn't in the gospel on ourselves. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so there's a couple of things that we have to flee from if we're going to stay in his courts. And that's temptation at, at all costs. And we'll get real practical with that here in a second. But then also um, we flee from shame. We flee from condemnation. We, we label it as a lie and we run from that. And we reject that. But also there are things we hold on to. One of them being truth. I referenced Ephesians 4 earlier. Ephesians 4, verse 14. I'll read it for you. It talks about Paul saying, So that we, as mature believers, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the things that's difficult to hold on to in the Christian life, certainly in my life, is holding on to truth holding on to what we know and what we believe, who our God is, who he says we are. Um, we believe this, right? God has given us this. God has revealed himself in this, his character, how we might live in light of the gospel, how we are to live, how we are to worship, to stir our affections. He's given us this. And so we've got to hold on to truth. We run from temptation. We run from, from shame that isn't from the Lord, but we hold on to truth and we hold on to the disciplines that God has given us. Right? The disciplines that are, are personal. We meet with him. We, we worship corporately, the corporate disciplines. Let me, real practical, just for the sake of time. This church um, has so many things that are all built around here to be a blessing, to push us to this end. Um, let me give you an example. Ken Miller and, and Mitchell Doris, they oversee the men's ministry uh, here at Christ Chapel and do a fabulous job of it. And men's ministry, there's tables of men who gather every week on all different campuses and open up God's word and study truth and walk with each other. They don't do that. They don't run the, that program for, for fun or because they enjoy running program. They, they run it and they do it, and they teach God's word, and they gather men around tables to sit and talk about the ways that they're pulled to and from because it's our design, because we need that, because those are things we have to hold fast to. Women's ministry, phenomenal. Same thing, small groups. Small groups here and home groups here at this church are things that are designed, not because we, we care about the program itself, but because we care about being people who so desperately enjoy Want to just draw near and hold fast to God. 
And we know we're not designed to do that alone. We know we're designed to be in community, to, to walk this Christian life out, to, to be in the personal disciplines of, of prayer, fasting in seasons, studying scripture, but also being in corporate disciplines as well. And so as you evaluate between you and the Lord what that looks like in this year to say, I want to be a person who draws near, would you draw near and use the tools of God? Now, the trick there is um, we don't just create a new list. Right? We know we're saved by grace, so we don't just create a new list. Those things are good and those things are designed by God, but we don't just create a new list. It should come from the heart, our desire to love God, to pursue him, to be near him. That's what drives this. Um, I'll tell you a quick story, um, and then I'll, I'll land on the final application. Um, I, I a, a puppy, no longer a puppy, she's now old, but a long time ago, she was a puppy, and there was a season where my brother lived with us, and so uh, my dog and my brother Aaron, they got really close, they, because the dog had claimed the spare bedroom before my brother moved in with us, and so they just, so Aaron was like, well, sorry, you've got to move over, and so they just bonded and got really close for months while my brother lived with us, um, and, and we called my brother Aaron, Unky Aaron. Not because we're obnoxious, but just because we like teasing him. And so we called Aaron Unky Aaron. And my dog, Desi, loves Unky Aaron. She wags her tail when I walk in or when Danielle comes home. But when Unky Aaron comes through the door, she seizures with joy. And when my dog was young, she's a really good dog. But when she was a puppy, she was one of those dogs that would just dart. You know, the door was open for too long. She'd take off, hit the porch just disappear and, and, and run. And so we're just chasing her down the neighborhood, trying to get her back. We figured out the one thing that would get her back is we would just yell as loud as we could, Unky Aaron. And my dog, no joke, would just beeline, turn and shoot back to the house, right? And it was embarrassing running through my neighborhood yelling, Unky Aaron. We immediately regretted that nickname. Um, but it was better than, than just not being able to get my dog. And so we would just shout, Unky Aaron, and she would run back. Um, and that was tricking my dog. Here's the thing about God. He's not a trick, right? Our hearts, do our hearts desire him? Do our desire for the spiritual disciplines to draw near to him, to confess, to get in community, to study his word, all of the things that between you and the Lord you're convicted to, the things that you're called to walk away from and walk into and hold fast and flee from, does it come from a desire of saying, I know you are faithful, I know you are good. God, I want to draw near you. And as it doesn't, and in the seasons when, well, that's not what my heart is saying, you know what I do? I don't stop doing the disciplines. I don't stop being in his word. I don't stop being in community. I don't stop coming and worshiping corporately. I don't just look for it somewhere else. I say that's when I need God's design even more. That's when I need the church. That's when I need his word. That's when I need prayer and fasting even more, when I don't feel like it. So yes, our heart should drive our obedience but even when our heart isn't in it, God has given us these things as a grace. Last question I want to answer is this. If we live this way, and we, we are people who draw near to his courts, and we're close to him, we also should be called to invite others into those courts. I know that is the heart of this church. I know that's the heart of our leadership here at this church. And so how do we do that? And I'm just going to end with this, this one story in Acts chapter 4. The way we do that is we live a life as witnesses of what he's done for us. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples are under persecution and the leaders say, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. You've got to stop witnessing. You've got to stop inviting other people into this relationship with Jesus. You've got to cut it out. 
Cut it out or there's going to be major consequences. And they answer these leaders who hold their life in their hands in, in an earthly sense. And they say, you do what you got to do, but we cannot but help tell what we have seen and what we have heard. How do we invite other people in? Let's start by drawing near, by seeing God move in our life, by having our affection stirred, by falling deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And as we do that, even when we don't feel like it, we rally community. If you don't know a next step, if you don't know a next step for that, then at the end of the service, walk out these doors and there will be a pastor who loves Jesus who will be standing under a screen that says next step. Not because we care about an information booth, but we care about drawing near and holding fast to the presence of God. And as we do that, it becomes contagious that we say we can't help but to share of what God is doing in our life. Father, would you do what only you can do? God, you are mighty and you are holy and you are good. And so God, as we step into this year, Lord, would, would our hearts, God, be in line with a psalmist who, who longs for your courts? That we would be people who would say, just one day in your court, I'd trade everything for. Because we're that zealous for your nearness and your presence. Thank you for loving us. A bunch of sinners who don't deserve your adoption, but you love us. Would that be a catalyst for our chasing after you? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.